right, we're going to do something different on the, the notes today. So I'm just going to share with you all my notes. Um, you're going to see how not amazing my note-taking skills are. But today, what we're doing is I'm trying to establish inside of each of us an understanding of the Word of God related to sharing the gospel. So the Lord has given us for this church, he's given us a mandate to establish four pillars in the church. Like the church is built on these four pillars. The first one is the pillar of love, learning to love people like heaven loves people. The second one is the pillar of equipping, I'm sorry, uh, prayer and worship. And so learning and understanding that anything that happens in our midst happens because we pressed in and we connected with God. His presence was there and he came up and did something amazing. The third one is equipping and releasing and becoming a church where we're giving you practical things that you can take into your life and then and, and, and allow dreams to come up and grow inside of you from the Lord and then not only let them grow but also release you to go do those things in the kingdom of God and not just inside of the four walls of this church but wherever God has called you to do it, that's where we want to release you into. Amen? And then the fourth one is the rescue pillar. God's radical heart for rescuing people who are far from him. And so over the years, we've had different seasons where we've kind of pressed on different pillars at different times. And recently, the last year or two, I feel like the, we've, we've been establishing the first three pretty well. But the Lord has given us a clear calling the last part of this year to establish that rescue pillar inside of our hearts. And so that's what we're going to spend the rest of the semester talking about is God's heart for the lost. So today we're talking about why do we share the gospel. Later we're going to talk about who are we supposed to share with. And then later we're going to talk about how practically do we do that. And I want to give a plug next week. My friend Keith Wheeler is coming in town. Uh, raise your hand if you've never heard Keith. Let me know who I'm looking at. Okay, 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 okay. All right, awesome. You guys are in such a huge treat. So Keith Wheeler, you can Google him or look him up on Facebook. He has spent, he's around 55, something like that, maybe 60. I don't know how old he is. Um, probably 55-ish, something like that. Great guy. Since he was a young buckaroo in college, he, spent, he has spent his life carrying a 12-foot wooden cross all across the globe. He has literally walked over 21,000 miles with this giant cross on his shoulder. You can feel his collarbone next week, and you can feel how the cross has changed his physical body as he's carried the cross, preaching the gospel, loving people really well across the globe. His stories are phenomenal. God has done the most amazing things in and through his life. So next week you get a great opportunity as well to go deeper in this. Why are we sharing the gospel with people? So what I want to do today is pretend that none of you have ever heard the Bible. None of you have ever read the Bible. You have no idea what God's heart is, and we want to establish the word. So we're going to start right here with Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through, 40, uh, 1 through 14. I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation. If you don't know the Passion Translation, it's a newer translation of the Bible, and his goal was to take the Aramaic, the Hebrew, and the Greek translations and to try to bring into English the passion of the word of God, the, the passion of the original text. And so things are going to look a little bit different than what maybe you're used to, but that's the reason that we're using it. So this is the parable of the wedding feast. 
Verse 22, it says, I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 1. As was his custom, Jesus continued to teach the people by using allegories. His, he illustrated the reality of heaven's kingdom realm by saying, there was once a king who arranged an extravagant wedding for his son. Amen? Who's his son? Of course, his son is Jesus. On the day of the festivities that they were set to begin, he sent his servants to summon all of the invited guests, but they chose not to come. All right? So what this says to me is that they had been invited previously. They knew that this was coming. They, they knew that the wedding feast was coming sometime soon, and they were just waiting for the moment for it to happen. So uh, there's this uh, great Mexican restaurant named Hidalgo's. Anybody? Yeah, oh, yeah oh, okay, uh-huh, yep. Hidalgo's, I found out this, this week as I was eating there. Um, Hidalgo was a famous Catholic priest in Mexico, and he is, they celebrate the day of Hidalgo, I guess. I'm not exactly sure. Um, sorry, Mexico, for botching this, but it's like Independence Day because they had conspired together to kind of overthrow and bring revolution and they had all planned in advance on this one day at this certain time, Hidalgo would ring the church bells and everybody would come out to attack and to take over the cities that they were trying to take over. Okay? And so um, we'll stop talking about Hidalgo. You can read the story on the menu. But this is like that. They had been discussing. They understood what was coming. They understood that a day was coming in the future. And now at this moment, the bell is ringing. Guys, the wedding feast is here. Come on, now's the time. Let's go. We're so excited. And they chose not to come. Say boo. So the king sent even more servants to inform the invited guests, saying, come for the sumptuous feast is now ready. The oxen and the fattened cattle have been killed and everything is prepared. So come, come to the wedding feast for my son and his bride. The son is Jesus. The bride is the church. It is you. Okay. This wedding feast is real. It's going to happen sometime in the future. And Jesus is foretelling of this story. Verse 5, but the invited guests were not impressed. One was preoccupied with his business. Another one went off to his farming enterprise, and the rest seized the king's messengers and shamefully treated them and even killed them. So what this refers to is Jesus is talking about the Jewish leaders before he came. And even during his time on the earth, the Jewish leaders would seize the prophets from God that were bringing the good news about the wedding feast. They would seize them and kill them. And so this infuriated the king. So he sent his soldiers to execute those murderers and had their city burned to the ground. You remember a few weeks ago, Rachel was talking about revelations and how Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome in AD 70. I believe this was that fulfillment of Jesus' parable here, saying that that city was burned to the ground. So verse 8, then the king said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and yet those who had been invited to attend, they didn't deserve the honor. Now I want you to go into the streets and the alleyways and invite anybody and everyone you find to come and enjoy the wedding feast in my honor, in the honor of my son. The Aramaic word for alleyways, it means to the ends of the roads. Okay, so here in this story, the father, the king, he is saying, 
you're going to go wherever it takes. You're going to go to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the roads. It does not matter how far away it is. It does not matter how hard it is to get there. It does not matter. I want you to go to the very, very, very ends, and you find everybody. I don't care how much they smell. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care how dirty they are. I don't care what they look like or, or, or how distant they are from me. It doesn't matter. You get them all here. This is the heart of the Father. So he says, go into every nook and cranny. Invite everybody, no matter what. This is God's desire. You're going to see it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 in just a moment. Verse 10, so the servants went out into the city streets and they invited everybody. Come to the wedding feast, good and bad alike, until the banquet hall was crammed. So that verse 10, that is what's happening right now. That is your mandate from God to go out now into the ends of the earth, no matter what it costs, no matter what it takes, fill up the banquet hall in the heavens. Amen? Verse 11, he's going to switch uh, kind of perspectives of the story now. Now, when the king entered the banquet hall, he looked with glee over all of his guests. Uh, but then he noticed a guest who was not wearing the wedding robe provided for him. And so he said, my friend, how is it that you're here and you're not wearing your wedding garment? And the man was speechless. And the king turned to his servants and he said, tie him up. Throw him out into the outer darkness where there will be great sorrow with weeping and grinding of teeth. For everyone is invited to enter in, but few respond in excellence. All right. Now, this scripture is really interesting, and to be really honest, my entire life, I felt this was referring to people not making it into heaven, like getting kicked into hell forever, um, but it, it didn't fully quite make sense to me, because how do they get into the feast to start with, but then they get kicked out, right? It just didn't quite make sense to me. And so recently, I bought this um, commentary from Tony Evans. Anybody ever heard Tony? So Tony's an amazing preacher. I used to go to his church a little in high school and college. Brilliant with analogies and just brilliant man of the word. And so here's what he says about this scripture. Tony Evans says, The king had his servants invite all kinds of people until guests filled the wedding banquet. An image that I understand to refer to the millennial reign of Christ. However, the guests were invited and accepted the invitation. They had a personal responsibility. Say personal responsibility. To get dressed in the wedding clothes appropriate for the banquet. Rightfully so, because they've gone to the ends of the earth. They've grabbed in people who have no money and no understanding of what's going on. They're not going to have the right clothes. And so when they show up to the wedding feast, the king, he gives the, the right clothes for them to fit in with what's happening. Since the people had been invited off the streets, it's likely that the king provided them with wedding clothes to wear. But one man refused to dress for the wedding. And the king there, uh, he had his attendants throw him out. Many interpreters see this ejection as a description of final judgment or hell. However, this language of weeping and gnashing of teeth in chapter 22, verse 13, it's a picture of sons of the kingdom losing rewards in the millennial period. So you can look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, and he has several other scriptures that I dug into yesterday that are really interesting, and you can take a look at those on your own. We're not going deep into it, but 
while they have accepted the invitation to enter the banquet or to come into the kingdom of God, to be with the Lord in heaven, those who do not utilize what God has provided and fail to be faithful servants will lose out on full participation in the millennial kingdom. As a result, they will experience profound regret. Many are called to salvation because of their faith in Christ, but few are chosen to rule with him in his millennial reign because of their unfaithfulness. Isn't that interesting? I haven't done enough study to know, like, yes, this is exactly what the word of God says. But for me, it really resonates a whole lot. And if you do look at this wording of the sons of the kingdom, there's multiple other places that refer to the same scenario, not about heaven and hell, but about rewards in the kingdom. So my question to you is you're sitting at the wedding feast. Jesus is ruling on the throne. Jesus and the bride are put together finally at last. And the king walks in the door because this is really going to happen. And you are really going to be in this room. So the king opens the door and he looks at glee at all of his guests. He's so excited for this feast to finally be there. And when he comes and looks at you, will you have the robe provided on? Let's go on to the next one. This is another parable of the wedding feast. This is Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. It's a little bit different, though, than what we just read. So it says, when they heard this, one of the dinner guests said to Jesus, someday God's going to have a kingdom feast. And how happy and privileged will be the ones who get to share in that joy. You'll read it in Revelations 19.9. It is talking about the wedding feast of the Lamb. Verse 16, Jesus replied with this parable, There was a man, God, who invited many to join him in a great feast. And when the day for the feast arrived, the host instructed his servant to notify all the invited guests and tell them, recognize again, the invitation had gone out prior to this moment where now they're calling people in. Come, for everything is now ready for you. But one by one, they all made excuses. Say, boo. One said, I, I can't come. Uh, I just bought some property and I'm obligated to go look at it. Um, another one said, please accept my regrets for I just purchased five teams of oxen and I need to make sure that they can pull the plow. And another one said, I can't come because I just got married. And what I find really interesting about the examples, the excuses that Jesus gives in this scripture is that each of those um, excuses doesn't matter. <laughs> Oh, I just bought some land. I have to go look at my land. What is the urgency? Your land is going to be there tomorrow. It's not moving. It's not going anywhere. But in this person's mind, what they had going on was more important than honoring Jesus by coming to the wedding feast. The next excuse. It says, oh, I just bought five oxen uh, and I need to make sure that they're able to plow. It doesn't say, oh my goodness, it's harvest time. I better hurry up or I'm going to lose my harvest. No, this is a test. This is just a simple, oh, let me just make sure I got the right rope. Let me make sure I can hook it up right. Let me make sure all these oxen walk forward. That is not an excuse worthy of skipping out on the things that God has called them to. And the last one, I just got married. I can't come. Your wife is going to be there tomorrow, guys. <laughs> 
The urgency is not there. But in each of their minds, they felt that what they had before them was more urgent than the calling of God. Verse 21. The servant reported back to the host, and he told of all of their excuses. So the master became angry, and he said to his servants, Go at once throughout the city and invite anyone you can find, the poor, the blind, the disabled, the hurting, and the lonely, and invite them back to my banquet. And when the servant returned, his master said, Sir, I've done what you've asked, but there's still room for more. So the master told him, all right, go out again. And this time, bring them back all, bring them all back with you. Persuade the beggars. Say persuade. persuade. The beggars on the streets, the outcasts, even the homeless, urgently insist. Say urgently insist urgently. that they come in and enjoy the feast so that my house will be full. I love this wording. I love the, the passage here because now the tone of the king has changed from, hey, we're having a party. Who wants to come? Y'all just come on. It's going to be so fun. And now the, the face of the king changes and he says, no, this thing's got to be full. You're going to go out there and you're going to bring them in. You're going to bring them in. <laughs> You will persuade them. You will insist them. It's like this whole change of perspective. The heart of God is that we get out there to the ends of the earth, the blind, the poor, the beggars, those far from God, doesn't matter how far away it is, and we get out there and we bring them into the kingdom. Amen? We do not stop if they say, oh, I have an excuse. We do not stop if they're like, oh, I got to take care of them. No, you're going to come to the kingdom. You got to be at this feast because this this is the will of the Father. you got to be there. That's the perspective of God. That's the heart of God that we need inside of us. Verse 24, I say to you all, the one who receives an invitation to the feast with me and makes excuses will never enjoy my banquet. Revelations 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, like a loud peal of thunder, shouting hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these words are true. Uh, these are the true words of God, sorry. And I fell at his feet and I worshiped him. Amen. This feast that Jesus talks about twice in the Gospels, Jesus reveals it again in Revelation. This is a real deal. This is going to happen. You are going to be there. So, why do we share the gospel? Because this was also God's intention for all to come into the wedding feast from the very beginning of time. There's an obscure passage in Revelations chapter 13, verse 8. And the context here is extremely important. So uh, just bear with me. We're not digging into the context. But here's what I want you to pay attention to. It says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Basically, anybody who refuses to worship Jesus, they're going to worship the beast at the end. And the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. 
All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So other scriptures say from the foundation or from before the foundation. So before the word of God comes out of his mouth, earth, universe, stars, water, before all of that, Jesus was slain in the heavenlies. Okay, how does that work? Was Jesus actually hung on a, another cross up in the heavenlies? No. But you got to understand that God is, is relatively timeless, if you will. Every moment is now in his book, past, present, future. It's a different scenario. So God has a discussion with Jesus. What was the discussion before the earth was created? We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Say, every blessing. Do you know that you have already been given every spiritual blessing? Literally everything God could give you in the spiritual realms, he has already given to you. There's nothing else he can give you. It's already been given. So now we get to learn and spend our time understanding how to utilize all that's been given. But you don't have to work for anything else. It's all been given already. So he chose us, verse 4. In him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure, say pleasure, and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us on the, in the one he loves. So this says that he chose you before the world was created. So just imagine you're in heaven you're watching as an observer. The Lord comes over to Jesus. He says, hey, i got a plan. I want sons. I want to adopt humans to become sons, to become heirs to my throne, to be with me for eternity. But they're going to mess up. They're going to fail. They're going to fall short. And there's nothing that they could do to be righteous and to be with me. So we got to have a plan to cover over their sin. And in that moment, God and Jesus discuss how Jesus would become the sacrificial lamb and his blood would cover over all the sins of all people so that we could all be with God in eternity. And in that moment, Jesus agrees, yes, I will be slain. Yes, I will pay for the sins of all of the sons and daughters of God. And so therefore, you have this verse, who was slain from the creation of the world. Even before the universe existed, this was the intention of God that everybody would be with God. And they made a way even before any of us existed. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10, it says, But don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is the heart of God. Let's continue on this, Ephesians 1, uh, 3 through 14. How is it that God has given you all blessings and at times on the earth it feels that you don't have all blessings? <laughs> How does that work? Tony Evans had this great perspective. You'll get to see my incredible drawings. Oh, buddy. Y'all can hire me. Ten bucks a picture. Um, <laughs> I love this blue one right here. Physically here, operating here. 
this is the perspective of how it's been given to you in the heavenlies, but sometimes you don't feel it in the physical and the earth, okay? So great example, a few uh, weeks ago, a few Saturdays ago, our discipleship school got to be deeply impacted by a prophet named Joe Ewan. Joe Ewan lives in Scotland. It was a Saturday morning for us. It's a Saturday night for him. He's sitting at his home in Scotland. He jumps on the computer. He turns on Zoom, and Joe is, bam, in the room. Joe is physically in Scotland, and he is operating in the spirit in the room, changing spirits, changing lives in that very moment. And so God's given you all of these blessings in the heavenly realms. That's like the heavenly realms. You are physically here on the earth, and yet your spirit interacts and operates in the spiritual realm. What we were doing during worship and during prayer just now, coming against COVID-19, we were operating in the spiritual realms even though we were physically here in the room. That's kind of how it works. So he says, he's already blessed you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption. I was adopted. When I was like one day old, I was adopted. And did you know that in America, if you adopt a child, you legally lose your rights to disown that person ever? doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what crimes they commit. It doesn't matter how terrible things get. You are illegal to disown an adopted child. So in that sense, adopted children have stronger inheritance rights than all of you <laughs> who are not adopted. In Roman times, when you were adopted, you received immediately the full inheritance, the same inheritance that the firstborn son had in the family. So you were adopted to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure because he wanted to, because it made him happy and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the ones he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Because it made him happy, which he purposed in Christ, to be into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. All right, so look at the purple one right here. It says, in Christ. I, I like this analogy. Jesus um, is the envelope. God put you in the envelope. He closed it up. When you got saved, you came into the family. You came into Jesus. He sealed you up. And not only did he seal you up, but he also brought along the Holy Spirit. And he put a stamp on the envelope. And he did the certified mail things to promise and guarantee this thing's going to end up where it belongs. Amen? So why do we share Jesus? Why do we share the gospel? Matthew 18, 11. 
Jesus said these words, the son of man has come to give life to anyone who is lost. Think of it this way. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one lamb wanders away and is lost, won't he leave the 99 grazing on a hillside and go out thoroughly and search for the one lost lamb? And if he finds the lost lamb, he will rejoice over it more than the 99 who are safe. Now you should understand that it is never the desire of your heavenly father that a single one of these humble believers should be lost. It is the desire of God that every single person on the earth come close to him and that we do whatever it takes to go search them out and find them out and draw them and bring them back to the Lord. Luke chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. We've got the story of wicked, evil, terrible Zacchaeus, the thief. He's stealing all of the Jews' money and he's giving it to Rome And it says, as Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained, look at this, of all the people to have dinner with, he's going to eat in the house of a crook. And Zacchaeus joyously welcomed Jesus, and he was amazed over his gracious visit to his home. Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord, and he said, half of all that I own I will give to the poor. And Lord, if I've cheated anybody, I promise to pay them back four times as much as I owe. And Jesus said to him, this shows that today life has come to you and your household. For you are a true son of Abraham. The son of man has come to seek out and to give life to those who are lost. Amen. This is why we share the gospel. We're going to wrap it up with this last scripture here. It's the Great Commission, Matthew 18. I'm sorry, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. It says this, meanwhile, the 11 disciples heard the wonderful news from the women and left for Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had arranged to meet them. The moment they saw him, they worshiped him, but some still had lingering doubts. And then Jesus came close to them and said, all authority of the universe has been given to me. He looks at them in the eyes and says, all of the authority in the whole universe has been given upon my shoulders. And with that authority, I'm sending you to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you and never forget that I'm with you every day, even to the completion of this age. And moments later, The Holy Spirit lifts Jesus up into the heavens with the angels. His parting words to you, the church, his parting words to his disciples was to go and to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to diligently obey and follow the words of Jesus. This is why. This is why we share the gospel. This is a big part of why you are currently on the earth. This is a big part of why we currently exist. Because God has given each of us a mandate to fill that banquet hall with as many people as we can find. And to drag them to the banquet hall so that we all can enjoy on that day. Amen. So in the future weeks, we're going to discuss who 
practically do we go after and to share? How can we find the people that God's called us to? And then we're going to discuss very practically how do we do it and a few other messages along the way. But that's the goal of today is let it go deep in your heart, the word of God to you of why he calls us to share. Amen. Stand up with me. I'm going to pray over you guys. Father, I thank you. Thank you for each and every single person in the room. We thank you for the word of God being so clear to us of what you've called us to and of why we're to share the gospel. Lord, we stand here today. We say that we want to be ones that consistently and diligently value that rescue pillar of going out of our way, going to the ends of the earth, going to whatever it takes to bring people close to you. And Lord, it's all too often to ignore this component of Christianity. It's all too often easy to be lazy or to have excuses of things that we feel are more important than to respond to this calling. But Father, we repent. We, we say, God, we want to be on the front lines in the sense of bringing people to the kingdom of God. We want to be on the front lines of bringing people into the wedding feast. We want to be on the front lines of obeying the things that you've called us to do, the things that you have demanded that we do, the things that you've commanded us to do. God, we want to be on the front lines of it. So Father, today we repent for our excuses. We repent for our laziness. We repent for our fear. We repent for every reason that we choose not to share with people God, we repent. Father, make your word today a part of our hearts. Make your word a part of our minds. Let it burn deep inside of us all the days of our life until the day that we die. Let it be very natural for us to be the ones who say yes to you, to be the ones who actually do what you told us to do in Jesus' name. We bind up fear in the name of Jesus. We say no more. Specifically, when it comes to sharing about the love of God, to sharing about Jesus, to sharing the kingdom of God, we bind up fear in Jesus' name. And we throw it out in Jesus' name. We release boldness in Jesus' name. We agree that, that revival favors the bold. And so we release the boldness of the Holy Spirit right now. We deposit it into every single heart in the room. In the name of Jesus, in the authority of Jesus, we deposit that boldness inside of each person. And God, we give you permission to drop things in people's spirits. We give you permission to drop ideas, to drop uh, passions, to drop um, uh, passions and ways of preaching the gospel people who to go to God how to go to them we give you permission God to drop it in every heart Father we recognize that not one person in the room is exempt from the call not one person in the room is exempt from obeying what you've called us to and so because of that we know that you have a way you have a, a direction you have a path that works for every single person to be able to obey your words and we give you permission to drop it in their spirits. Drop it inside of their minds. That still small voice, that whisper in their hearts. We give you permission to speak. To show the way of how to obey the word of God. And Father, we pray for those who are far from you to come to know you. 
We pray for those who are far from you to come to know you. We pray for that billion soul harvest. We pray for those who do not understand your love, that they would understand your love. They would be there at the wedding feast, largely in part because of our actions in Jesus' name.